So Samsung updated my tablet, and now it takes longer to do everything. <laughs> That's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. Hey, I would like to encourage you, if you would, this morning. Well, let me get this from Donna, and then I'll begin. Thank you so much, Donna. I would like to encourage you this morning, if you would, to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you didn't think to bring a Bible with you, there should be one in a rack in a chair near you. Uh, you can also use the Bible app for this. In fact, if you go to the menu on the Bible app and you look for an event near you, you should find the text that we're going to be using today along with a lot of the outline. And we're going to skip. Let me just warn you here. We're not going to read these eight verses in order. We're going to kind of skip around as we're going through the message. And we're going to repeat some of them just for emphasis or for nuance that's there. And uh, so uh, we should be able to really pull a lot uh, out of this text, I believe. I want to talk to you today about your focus. That's why the camera picture is there. I want to talk to you about your focus, and I want to ask you to consider in your own heart, is my focus inward or is my focus outward? I was sitting in a church health conference years ago, before I came to Kerbinsville even, it was that long ago, and as I'm sitting there listening to this speaker, I realized this guy has a radically different outlook than my own. His perspective is very different than my own. He was a leader of church leaders, and he was often called in as a consultant to help a church that was maybe trying to make the next step or a church that was maybe considering closing. And he'd been in a lot of those situations, made a lot of observations about those sort of things. And in the course of the presentation, he said something that startled me, something that I just flat disagreed with. Listen to what he said. Some of the most dangerous words you will ever hear a person in your church say are these. I love this church. (laughs) Now, if you know me, You know, I say those words all the time. Some of you probably heard me say those words three times this morning. I love this church. I love this church. I love the people. I love the purpose. I love the atmosphere. I love the spirit. I love the volunteers. I love the Lord who is here. I love this church. How could those be dangerous words? The speaker went on. He said, when someone says, I love this church, they're generally talking about the friendships they have made in the church. And when humans develop close friendships within a group, it is natural for us to want to protect those relationships. And sometimes protecting those relationships mutates in protecting, mutates into protecting the entire group, namely from outsiders. Hmm. So those words, I love this church, they might be a warning sign that outsiders aren't as welcome as they should be. When a congregation falls in love with itself, it can come, become protective of what it has, sometimes at the cost of what God wants it to become. It can become inward-focused. Now, we're doing this study, this series on commission. It's going to take us from now until Easter Sunday as we move through it. And, and we've talked about um, what a commission is, that a commission is a calling, an appointment to a specific position and task, being given responsibility and authority to accomplish that task. And with that kind of definition, one might say Jesus was commissioned. Jesus himself was commissioned. And there are lots of passages that would evidence that. Let's go with the familiar one. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son who, that, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's the father 
sending the son. That's a commission. And in that commission, I think it's fair to say that Jesus's focus was never inward. When we look at him, we see his pattern, his perspective, and we kind of get a feel, we kind of get a feel for how we can participate in the commission by looking how he participated. His focus was always outward toward the people that he came to, toward the people he wanted to connect with and to rescue. Now, Josh mentioned in his prayer time, he mentioned that we're making an acrostic out of the word commission. Last week, we talked about our call. The C in commission represents call. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you are just the right person to do them. You've been called to those things. The O represents the outward focus that's necessary in a commission. And if you look at our Bible text today, you're going to see how important this outward focus is by seeing Jesus' outward focus. Philippians 2 tells us his outward focus was evidence even in him becoming a human being, in the enfleshment of the divine one, the incarnation. Look at verse 5. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. The apostle Paul is writing to some friends of his in a city far away called Philippi, the Philippians. He says to them, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul, that sounds like a good idea. What is that mindset? Verse six, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So what Paul is telling us there is you could kind of think of Jesus who throughout eternity has been in this community that we call the Trinity, and we're going to talk about that in the doctrine group tonight. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being together throughout eternity, you can, you can imagine Jesus looking outside of that community and, and looking at us, and then becoming one of us. And Jesus wasn't alone in this mindset at all. The Father is involved in this decision to take on flesh on the part of the Son. The Spirit is involved in it. The triune God is involved in his coming at what we celebrate as Christmas. God's outward focus is evidenced in the incarnation of Christ. But you don't just see an outward focus in Jesus when he's born and laid in that manger. You see it in all of his teaching. And Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, what does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom? What does it look like to be part of the family of God? Well, now let's go back to verse 1. Again, the Apostle Paul's writing, and he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, if you got anything good at all from knowing Jesus, if, if you've been born again, if you have found salvation by grace through faith, then he says in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and being of one mind. Okay, so don't be fighting over trivialities, he says, but then he talks about turning your attention Outside, He talks about having an outside focus. Look at it right in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, some people might look at that passage of Scripture and think Paul is speaking about the Christian family, the body of believers, the local gathering. 
You guys look out for each other, value each other. Don't just look for your own interests, look to one another. And I think it's included that the the Christian family, the local congregation is included in this. But remember who the model is. The model is Jesus. In in verse 5, he said that in, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. And Christ's concern and interests were not just for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, nor was it just for the people who are his bride, the church, the believers, but Christ's interests were the whole world. The whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And the teaching here is, be like Jesus. Have that outward focus as your own. You can clearly see Jesus' outward focus is seen in Jesus going to the cross. And he did that intentionally, you know. John ten eighteen says, Jesus speaking, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. He came on purpose to die for you and for me. That was outward focus. That outward focus is seen going to the cross right in verse six again. I know we've, we've read this before, but look at it again. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Why? And being found in human appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was commissioned by the Father to come to us. And that commission required an outward focus not an inward one. So with that in mind, it would be probably helpful to us to try to uncover some of the patterns in Jesus's outward focus, Jesus' patterns in focusing outward. And the first one, when I think of it immediately, the first thing I think of is this word go, because Jesus' pattern entailed going. He came from heaven to earth. I wish I could have got a buck this year. How many of you, you got your buck this year? Put your hand up if you got a buck. I'm going to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't get my buck this year. I'm not sure why, except maybe it's because I never took my gun out of the closet. Or perhaps it's because I didn't go out into the woods. It could be because I hardly left the house. Okay, I had an excuse. I was having major surgery. So that's my excuse this year. I'll have to come up with a new one next year. But do you get the point of what I'm saying? Outward focus is not effective without a willingness to go outward. Jesus goad, G-O-E-D. I just watched the heads of the English teachers explode right there. That's so fun. Jesus went. Jesus went from heaven to earth. And even in his ministry here on earth, he was on the go. For example, in Matthew 9, 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus went. His focus was outward. Go. It was his pattern. Go. It was a commission to believers. And going may or may not mean going a long way. For some people, it means going to a whole other country. For some people, it just means going across the street. Go. Whatever it is for you. And, And remember, your commission is not like my commission is not like that person's commission. But I can tell you this, what, what, whatever your commission is, take a look at Jesus and you'll notice 
He didn't just sit at home. Jesus didn't scroll through TikTok videos and Instagram endlessly. Jesus didn't allow video games to draw him into another world. Jesus didn't veg out in front of Netflix and Hulu, not even BritBox. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus didn't consume hours and hours of entertainment by watching cable news endlessly. I'm not saying any of those things are evil. Rest and entertainment, those are really important things to do. And I do a number of those things, right? Here's what I'm saying is that most of us, myself included, probably find ourselves sitting idle more than we wish we did and more than we should do. When I'm idle, I'm not outward focused. Jesus got up. He put on his robe. He bent over and he laced up his sandals. And he went to where the people were. That is part of being outward focused. Number one, go. When I look at Jesus' pattern, I see something else he does is connect. His pattern entailed connecting. Did You know what Hershey is? Does everybody know what Hershey is? It's a chocolate bar, right? You know, Milton Hershey didn't believe in advertising. Did you know that? And so for the first several decades that that company was around, they never did anything except word of mouth advertising. And they grew into one of the largest chocolate producers, maybe the largest at that time in the world, or at least in the United States. Word of mouth, he called it, advertising. Word of mouth advertising is great because it builds a great connection. You know, if, if I'm eating a chocolate bar and, and I look out and I say to Doug, Doug, have you had this chocolate bar, this kind of chocolate bar? The next time Doug buys a chocolate bar, because I have a connection with, with Doug and he knows that I know good chocolate from bad, he's probably going to get the Hershey bar. Word of mouth advertising is powerful because it establishes a personal connection. In the early 1900s, I believe it was from 1909 to 1918, I read about it this week, one of the way that Hershey's established that connection with people that weren't eating their candy bars was by inserting a little card into the packaging of a candy bar. Now, these days, that candy bar is smaller than my PowerPoint. But back then, that candy bar was almost as big as my tablet here. So there you had this piece of chocolate, this slab of chocolate laying on this card, and the card had a photo on it. This was one of them. And, and the photo had a caption, and, and the caption said, one of the numerous herds on our 4,000 acres devoted to milk raising exclusively. Hershey Chocolate Company, Hershey PA. What do you suppose was on the back of the card? No one's old enough to remember, 1909? The back of the card was a postcard. Oh, so you finish up your chocolate, you got all this energy of sugar buzz going. And there's a card. I think I'm going to write a postcard to Aunt Matilda. And you go ahead and you send it to her. And Aunt Matilda loves you. She loves you and she gets that and it smells like chocolate. And she sees Hershey on it. And what Milton Hershey did right there is he made a connection. He tricked you into thinking he had made a connection with you. Now, I'm not suggesting that we find ways to make fake connections with people. What I'm suggesting is connections are important. Connections are vital. Connections are powerful. Hershey can make a fake connection if they want to. I don't mind that a bit. Their chocolate covers up for all sins. Jesus didn't make fake connections. He made real connections. Every now and then someone will say, 
why do we have to send people overseas to tell them about Jesus in, in this century? Because why don't we just use the internet? The answer is simple. Influencing someone toward life change almost always entails connecting with them personally and genuinely. And that's what Jesus did in his pattern of being focused outwardly. (laughs) Jesus connected with people. Outward focus requires a connection. It requires engagement as well. Jesus' pattern entailed engaging relationally. Listen to Philippians 2 verse 1 and listen for the relational words here. Therefore, if anyone, I'm sorry, therefore, if n start again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, that's relational, from being united with Christ, that's relational. If any comfort, that's relational. From his love, that's relational. If any common sharing with the Spirit, that's relational. Any tenderness, that's relational. Any compassion, that's relational. Even though Jesus, by this point in history, had already ascended and was seated at the right hand of the Father, he still, this passage says, he still is connecting and engaging with us relationally, encouraging us, comforting us, sharing his spirit with us, showing us tenderness and compassion. Just ask the people that were here Friday, laying their loved ones to rest. Ask them if Jesus was engaging with them. And most of them will say, I don't know how I'd have made it without him. I don't know how I'd have made it without him. It's exactly what he did when he walked the dusty roads of Israel and encountered someone who was spiritually hungry. (laughs) In John 3, there's this Pharisee named Nicodemus. He just wants to meet Jesus personally and investigate him for himself, so he comes under the cover of darkness. And Jesus engages him relationally in a spiritual conversation. (laughs) You're Israel's teacher, and... And you don't understand these things? In the very next chapter, in John 4, there's this woman at a well, and she's avoiding human contact because she's kind of embarrassed about the life she's lived for the past 30 or 40 years. And so, and so she's coming in the heat of the day instead of when it's nice and cool in the morning to get her water, and, and she bumps into Jesus, and he, he connects with her on a personal and spiritual level. If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him for living water and he would have given you living water. He engages with her. He doesn't preach at her. In John 5, there's an invalid. He's been there 38 years begging. Jesus approaches him. Listen to verse 4 of John 5. I'm sorry, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus engages people personally. And because he engages them on a relational level, because he takes time with them, that gives him the ability to engage them with clarity and to engage clearly. To Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. To the woman at the well, the man you have now is not your husband. To the invalid, pick up your mat and walk. Clarity. It's part of Jesus' engagement. Let me just interject this here. Let me just slip this in here. A lot of people want to skip the relational engagement part. And they want to go right to the clarity and jump right on that and just tell people what they're doing wrong. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
because he came to them, because he connected with them, because he was engaged with them, Jesus was able to be clear with them. And to see that happen, you must be outward focused. Now, I don't know your specific commission. I don't know what it may entail. But looking at Jesus' patterns, I think I can give you some counsel that will apply to the commission he has in your life, regardless of what it is. Whether it's a commission to go across the hall, or across the street, or across the country, or across the world, whatever it is, I think these pieces of counsel that I'm going to give you can help you in living your commission. Now, the first one is going to be kind of offensive. But I think I have a good enough relationship with you that I can pull it off. Okay, Here's the first one. Get off the couch. Get off the couch. John Peters said to me after church, I'm so glad you didn't say get off the recliner. Gail sits on the couch. I'm on a recliner. (laughs) Oh, I pray I can say this clearly because I think it's accurate. Something strange has happened in the past few years. And although it's changing, people in general seem to be less willing to be with other people. It's a weird thing. I've heard this from clubs, like sportsmen's clubs. Yeah, people don't come out like they used to. I've heard it from community organizations. You know, we used to be able to get volunteers, but nobody wants to leave their house now. Nobody wants to come. I've heard it from people who run businesses. Yeah, we just don't see the traffic that we used to see that we once had. It seems that in just a couple years, people have fallen into the habit of avoiding exposure by staying home. Exposure to what? I don't think it's COVID. I don't think it's that at all. I think many are staying away from exposure to people with whom they do not agree. We have lost our ability to agree to disagree. Think about it. Fear of exposure has caused a lot of people to withdraw from posting on social media. You know, it used to be people would be on Facebook and they'd say, I'm getting off of that thing. I can't stand seeing pictures of what that guy had for breakfast every morning, you know? And they, that's why they got rid of it. But, but something has changed. And I notice more and more people are saying, yeah, I got off Facebook because I'm not going to post my thoughts out there and risk somebody coming in on my comments section and flaming me about what I just said. I'm out. I'm out. And they walk away. Fear of exposure has called other people, caused other people rather, to stop going to their own church, a church they were in for a long time. It's caused some people to stop going to Sunday school class or a small group that they were part of. I'm not going there. I just don't like it when people disagree with me, the things I have to say, and frankly, a lot of them weren't who I thought they were. So I'm out. I quit. We'll go somewhere to be entertained, but going somewhere where we might have to express ourselves and share our opinions and listen to other people's opinions and find ourselves in conflict, I'm out. The couch, it looks really good to me. I'm, I'm staying on the couch. That retreat into privacy in your own life, it's cowardice. It's cowardice. It's an inward focus. 
It is not living your commission, whatever your commission may be. If you're going to live your commission, you'll have to get off the couch. You'll have to get out there. And in doing that, you're going to have to risk rebuttal. (laughs) When you get off the couch (laughs) and you talk a little about Jesus and what he means to you with some other people, there are a number of responses you can get. One response that you might get is someone's going to want to shut you down. You know, some people, maybe they have good reason. They just don't want to talk about God. Might be their fault. Maybe they're living a godless life. It might be that someone has been obnoxious in their life talking about God and they just have had a gut full. They don't want to hear it. And so they shut down the conversation, even if it means walking away. I've been shut down that way. I start talking to someone about church or their faith or Jesus, opening the conversation and, and, oh, talk to the hand, Steve. Talk to the hand. You know what? I respect their right to shut me down. You know, we're just two human beings having a conversation. If they don't want to hear what I have to say, that's, that's fine. That's okay with me because there'll be other conversations, God willing, right? And some people will, in their rebuttal, just shut you down. There'll be others that will not want to shut you down. They don't want to end the conversation because they're so excited to be talking to a believer that they can work to talk out of their faith. Have you encountered those people? Having a civil argument is kind of a lost art, but if you can interact with people who are of that persuasion without getting angry, without burning bridges, without building walls, if you can talk about your own personal life experiences, you may find God do something amazing. I spent a lot of time when I lived in the community I lived in previous to this one talking to a a young engineering student about who Christ was. And when we would talk, he would argue and he would argue not out of disrespect, mind you, but he just couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen him in probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And out of the blue, my cell phone rang. And it was, it was a track phone. They didn't even have smartphones then. I looked and I didn't recognize the number. And, and I, I thought, who even has this number? Because when you had a track phone, you paid for every minute. You didn't give that to just anybody. It's calling me from a whole different state. I happened to be in Colorado Springs. I was at a meeting out there. And so I got up, excused myself from meeting. I answered the phone, and it was him. I don't know how he got the number, but think of how hard he had to work to get that number. And he says, Steve, I just wanted to get a hold of you and thank you for the years you spent trying to help me see who Jesus was. I get it. And I have placed my faith in him, and I'm following him. It finally all makes sense. (laughs) It was one of the best phone calls of my life. But that would never happen if I was unwilling to risk rebuttal. If I was unwilling to let someone disagree with me. Focusing outward, it means risking rebuttal. Now, this sentence will not surprise you at all. If you want to call those interactions arguments, I will say this. I have lost a lot of those arguments. But I have not lost those arguments. I have not lost them because what I believe is weak. I have lost them because sometimes I don't think fast on my feet. And sometimes I'm not as good a communicator as I wish I was. Sometimes I'm not the best thinker. So the risk, yeah, it's real. Let me tell you how I handle it, though. You can handle it however you want. But this is my, my practice. I don't get mad. I will not get mad. 
You know, there are people, if someone takes the Lord's name in vain, they're just like all over that person who took the Lord's name in vain. And it kind of wears a badge. I told him, that's my savior you're talking about. You know, you know the kind, maybe you've seen those kind of people. I'm not that kind of person. And when you enter into these conversations where you're getting rebuttal, you will hear people say things that are just downright blasphemous. I don't get mad. I don't get mad. I smile (laughs) warmly and genuinely. I don't fake smile, right? I smile warmly and genuinely. And I say something like this. You know, you raised some good questions. I can tell that you have really thought about this. And I'm sure there are people who who would be able to help you with this better than I would. In the meantime, can I just ask you to keep thinking? To just keep your mind thinking about the question of God. Don't let that go. You keep searching and I'll do the same. That's kind of the outlook I try to have when, uh, when I've risked rebuttal and found myself wanting in my skills. It's safe to leave it with God because after all, <laughs> he is the agent who really affects change. So you can leave it to the Holy Spirit. So number one, get off the couch. Number two, risk rebuttal. Number three, engage personally. Personally. I have done, I couldn't begin to count how many doors I've knocked on going door-to-door witnessing in my younger years before I was a pastor. I did that a lot. And I know that fruit comes from that. But I will tell you this, the best fruit that I've ever been able to produce for the sake of the kingdom of God, by the power of God, not because of me, it has always come in relationship. Always come in relationship. For me, well, before I get there, I am guessing that most of the people here who have placed their faith in Christ and are following him found out about that and about him through someone they knew personally. For me, it was two people, my mom and my Sunday school teacher who talked to me for an hour every week about Jesus, you know? She bought me magic markers for crying out loud. That was really important when I was that age. Relationship. Engage personally. My outward focus will work the best when I get to know people personally. And for me, that means routinely connecting with people. It means listening to what is happening in their hearts and caring about what's happening in their heart. It means discerning when to talk and when to be quiet and when to just let it ride. It means loving people as God commands us to. So that church health guy that I mentioned at the start, He was wrong, and he was right. (laughs) It is possible to make the things you love in your life, your church family, your family family, your hobbies, your job, it is possible to let those, to allow those things to make you lose your focus. It is possible that those things might take your focus off of your commission. So as we Celebrate communion today as you're going to have that moment where we say one should examine oneself before taking the bread and drinking the cup. When you're talking to God about your relationship with him and the quietness of your heart, take a moment and say, where's my focus, God? 
tell me where my focus is. Is it, have I kind of just holed up? You know, have I kind of just, like a groundhog in the winter, don't you wish that guy would have stayed in the, ground, in, in the hole this yesterday, day before? Amen. Thank you, brother. Have I kind of hold up? Am I kind of like a groundhog that just, I'm in my den and I'm not going out for anything? Or, or am I? <laughs> am I going? Am I risking rebuttal? Am I engaging with people? Talk to him about that. And let him talk to you about it. When I tell you these things, you know, there's no way in the world that I'm standing here judging any of you. Because none of us are the same in the way we are wired. People have told me I'm an extrovert. I don't think I am. But I can be, I can play the role of an extrovert. But I know others can't do that. So for me to expect you to be like me, that that would be goo-goo talk, right? But I expect you to be like God wants you to be. And I hope that you will talk to him about how that commission is to play out in your life and that your focus would be outward. I'm going to ask the musicians if they'll come at this time. And we will take that moment to examine ourselves. If you're visiting with us, I want to talk to you for just a moment about communion at Kerbinsville Alliance. There are churches that if you're going to uh, uh, take communion there or share in the Lord's Supper there, Perhaps you need to be a member, or you need to have taken a class, or whatever. Uh, Kermansville Alliance is not one of those churches. If, if you, yourself, believe that you're trusting in Christ, and his death on the cross to pay for your sins, and you're following after him, you said, I will follow you, Jesus. I know you died for me. Please forgive me. I will follow you. Then you're welcome to participate. If, on the other hand, you're like, I don't think I've ever done that. Do it now. <laughs> Do it now. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not ceremonial. It is deeply personal. And if you in your heart have never said, Jesus, I know I need to be forgiven. I understand that you shed your blood, gave your body on a cross to pay for my sins. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please forgive me. I will follow you. That's being saved. That's entering the kingdom. And you can do that in the quietness of your own heart. And you can celebrate communion with us. If for any reason you prefer not to celebrate communion with us, then just take advantage of this time to kind of contemplate God. You know, you might not want to celebrate because you think these wafers taste bad. I love these wafers. I wish I could buy them by the pound. If there's any reason that you would rather not participate, no one will stand in judgment of you. Just enjoy the time here. As Drew plays... We're going to take just a moment to afford you the opportunity to examine your heart before God, and then we'll take the bread and the cup. thankful for your great love for us. We are so thankful, Jesus, that you were outward focused, that you came from heaven to earth, that you 
that you engaged with us, that the Holy Spirit himself drew us, drew us to salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for purchasing our redemption. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I'm wondering where the mic is. All right, Josh, you got the mic. Great. So when you're done with the mic, give it to the guy behind you, okay? All right. I'm going to ask Josh, who's one of the elders here at Kermansville Alliance, if he would pray a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ, and we'll take it together. Josh? God, you are so kind. You are so amazingly kind. God, we thank you for this incredible gift. May our very selves joyfully and willingly serve you in all that we do. Not out of obligation, but just as a, just an outward expression of our gratefulness. We love you. Amen. The body of Christ. Scripture tells us that afterward he took the cup. He said that this represents a new covenant, a new promise, a new testament, a new agreement that's written in his blood, so to speak. Hard to get any more solemn than writing a covenant in your blood. It's hard to be any more serious than that. And yet that is the solemnness of his love and his grace and his care for you and me that he would write it in his blood. I'm going to ask our outreach coordinator, Tim, if he would pray a prayer of thanks for the blood of Christ, and we'll take it together. God, we are thankful for what you've done for us and what this cup represents, that you shed your blood for us willingly and freely, not expecting anything in return other than our love for you. awesome so as we take this may we think of that and remember that and may we give ourselves to you our whole selves all of us not because we have to but because we want to again Lord we're just thankful unbelievably thankful for what you've done for us amen the blood of Christ. So let me say one more thing. It'll only take me about an hour. If today, as I was talking about what it means to be saved, trusting Jesus, choosing to follow him because of his great love for you, um, if you did that for the first time today, tell someone you're with Tell your husband, tell your wife who came with you or your neighbor, whatever, whoever's here. Tell, tell other people that you know are following Jesus that you are following Jesus. Tell me so I can rejoice with you. And follow him with all your heart. He is so worth following. Life is so much more rich 
when you're walking with Jesus.